want to turn, if you've got a Bible, you want to turn to the book of John. It's a biography written about Jesus. Um, I'll give you a background if you're going there. Does anybody need some paper Bibles? We have some here at the front. Wave at me and we'll, we'll get you a Bible. Are you okay? Okay. Ali's there. Out of a job. Great. Everybody has a Bible on your phone or, or paper. I'm okay. Um, so let me give you a background here to what's happening. The priests and the Levites who are really like the religious police of the day. They're working from a, their headquarters, which is the temple in Jerusalem. And they hear about the success and the influence of a wild man who had absolutely no fashion sense. His hair was just wild. It wasn't actually the fashion of the day, Eller. He was just a very wild man. His name was called John the Baptizer. And he is actually, just in case you get confused, he's a different John from this book, from the writer of this book. It's a different John that wrote the book, but the John that he is writing about is John the Baptizer. So John, he's outside the city. He's doing what he's called to do. He's baptizing people. In fact, it's more than just baptizing people. What he's actually doing is he's preparing people, he's preparing Israel, in this particular case, for the coming of Jesus Christ the Messiah. And so there's not a trickle of people that are just going out to this desert place, this, this wilderness area, this out of town space, out of the city. It's actually people are coming in their thousands to watch, to see what's going on. There was no frenzy of Facebook. There was no event. There was no live. It was just word of mouth got round. People told stories. People engaged in conversation. Community was the hub. The table was the furniture. And people heard that John the baptizer was baptizing people. And so the priests and Levites, they get a little stirred. It travels, news travels back to headquarters in the temple in Jerusalem. And so they go out to ask John some questions so that they can bring them back and talk to the powers that be in the temple. Are you with me? John chapter 1, verse 19. This is where we're kicking off from this morning. Now, this was John's testimony. When the Jewish leaders, or John, testimony is just John's story, his his testimony, his story, his reality. When the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I'm not the Messiah. They asked, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet. So the next line is a quote from Messiah 40, the Messianic prophet. He says, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way or prepare the way of the Lord. So what John is saying in this line, he says, this is my job is to get people ready for the Messiah, Jesus, who is coming. Simple. He knows who he is. He knows where he's come from. He knows what his game is. Does that make sense? This was his primary job. Okay, we're still in the same chapter. Jump down to verse 29. Scroll, flick, swipe, turn the page. If you need to. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. This is the first time he sees Jesus. I don't know about you, but I got excited when I read this thing. Because sometimes you just read scriptures and you never actually take in what's actually happening. So his whole life, his mission is to prepare the way. He's talking about Jesus. He's pointing to Jesus. And then the moment comes that Jesus is coming towards him, walking around. And he says, he says, look, the Lamb of God. This is him. This is my job. I'm pointing you to him. He's here in this moment who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. We know he was before him. He, he was in the beginning, the God of creation, right? Brilliant. Jump down to verse 34. 
I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus, turning around. Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you'll see. So they went and they saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. That's why we're doing Macrofelt at four in the afternoon. It's just totally scriptural. Can I get a drink of water? So I want you to pause for a moment, because we read that, and it's like, yeah, brilliant. John comes, John's doing his job, and then all of a sudden, John points out the one he's doing the job for. But get this. Pay attention to your feelings. Let's allow ourselves to feel. Let's, not, let's be human here. What do you think it felt like for John to watch two of his disciples leave him? Do you, do you ever think about that? It's just, just me. Like here he is, he's doing this fantastic job. He's flourishing. The, the word is going out so much so that the temple police are coming to find out what, what on earth the situation is. And as they do, he's just thriving. He goes on and he's baptized and he's, these all things. And then one day John says to, um, that's a class looking glass. And then one day... Jesus comes along and John says to his disciples, hey, look, Jesus, and they're saying, like, see you, John. See ya. And then jump to chapter 3, verse 22. Chapter 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he had spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John was also was baptizing at Anon near Salem. Because there's plenty of water there. So they're in a desert, so he's got to find water. There's nothing spiritual about this. There's nothing miraculous. He's just got to find more water, okay? That's what he's doing. And the people were coming and being baptized. Spoiler alert here. This was before John was put in prison. An argument fell between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over a matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, which is Jesus, the one you testified about him, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. Don't you realize he's stealing your people? He's putting you out of a job. Everyone is going to him. So first John's disciples banned him to follow Jesus. And now we read everyone, everyone that's coming out to be baptized by Jesus, they're not going, to, they're not going back to John. They're actually saying, hey, Jesus, we're now your apprentices, we're now your followers. So, uh, thousands of people abandoned, maybe tens of thousands, we don't know, abandoned John for Jesus. What did John's response sound like? What do you think? How would you feel? Let's be human again. How would you feel? Insecure? Jealous? A little unsteady? To this, John replied, this is brilliant. I've been reading this. I, I spent most of Tuesday, Tuesday evening, and this one line just caught me. And I want it to catch your imagination this morning, and more than your imagination. I want you to, I want, are you okay with learning Bible verses? Do you, do you memorize scripture? W would you be up for learning this, this one and allowing it to settle into your soul? Because I think there's such freedom to this text. Let me read it for you. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. A person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. There's such security in that. There's such contentment in that. Pressure's off. 
Competition is, is not a thing. A person can only receive what is given them from heaven. Verse 28. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens to him and is full of joy. And when he hears the bridegroom's voice, he says, that joy, when you hear that, that moment, that ceremony of wedding, that joy is mine. I'm feeling that right now. I'm excited and I'm now complete. I'm now complete. He must become greater. I must become... Are you awake this morning? This joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become. He must become. I must become. Okay, now this is not about giving up in life. This is not about not doing a good job. This is not about hiding yourself away. This is actually putting Jesus in his correct place. This is what this is about. Jesus is the ultimate. He is the majesty. He is our allegiance. He's the one, sorry, to whom we bear allegiance. This is the one we give our lives to. He is everything. Jesus must increase. His kingdom must increase. Other kingdoms decrease. Okay. Let me recap, recap what we just read. John is flying. He is flourishing. Ministry has never been so good. It's growing and it's growing fast. He's seeing thousands, maybe tens of thousands come to him. His job is to prepare people to get ready for Jesus. Then Jesus comes along. People leave John. John's out of a job. Synopsis. Let's just pause just for a moment. And let me ask you the question this morning. Forget about what we just read. Okay, let's bring it into our now, into your moment, into what you see around you, what you hear the Spirit of God doing, what, what's happening in the lives of other people that are around you, your friends, maybe other churches, family, uh, people in your workplace, your workspace. Whatever your space is right now, it'll come to life when I, when I utter these words. I want to ask you a simple question. Are we able or are you able to celebrate others' success? Great question. Because I've noticed on the island at times that we're not brilliant at celebrating other people's success. You, you look at our media, you look at, especially in the sporting world, if you look at, uh, well, not that I'm going to the extreme of America, but if you ever compare American sport writers to... Um, just for instance, let's choose British sport writers. One, they're, they're night and day. One is always like turn strips and so uh, critical, which is the British one. And then you look at the American, they're just over the top in the wow way. They just, just can't, can't do no wrong. They become the superstars, right? High five. Just high five the person next to you. If you haven't got anybody to high five, join a community group. When we see others thriving, and they do, do we celebrate their story or do we compete with our story? I'm serious. How do you feel when you see somebody else's story thriving and their story being told? Do you actually, when you, do you actually, listen, 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 this is good pastoral advice. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you actually stop and celebrate with them and say that is absolutely brilliant? Or before they even finish the conversation or the story, are you quick to tell your story? Because I think sometimes it's worth just listening. It does somebody's soul good if you just listen to their story and to what God is doing and encourage them. And that, my friends, is prophecy. 
To be a prophetic people is to be an encouraging people. To be a prophetic people is to become a people that build others up, not tear others down. To be a prophetic people is to prefer other people's futures and dreams ahead of your own. And that is never easy to do. It stirs something in the emotion. If there's any insecurity at all, then it will come to the surface. Am I making sense? Pay attention to your emotions when you hear, see people succeed and flourish, whatever area of life it's in. Whether it's in business, or whether it's in health, or entertainment, or the arts, or politics, or in what we call um, ministry world. I hate that word ministry, but you know what I mean. If I say it, you know what it means, so that's why I'm using that style of communication. When people are succeeding, do we celebrate it or does the, the uneasiness come up and we start to ridicule and uh, when somebody's doing so much better, when they've bought that new car, moved into that new house, going on that holiday, how do you respond? S- complaint or championing their success and thriving? Uh, Jesus once, he told a parable, a story. A parable is not some moral um, Teaching, it's actually a story about the kingdom of heaven. Every parable pertains to the kingdom. So there's a future, a present, and sometimes a not yet. So it's always pertaining to the kingdom. It's always a story, an illustration to teach people that the kingdom of God is at hand and near and also in the future. Are you with me? So he tells this parable one time and he talks about, do you remember five bags of gold? Do you read scripture? Jesus, Nazareth, born of the Virgin Mary. Are you, are you with me? Please. Pardon? Uh, yeah, the whole, the, for 15 years, this is what this whole gig's been about. Thank you. And so he gave these five workers bags of gold. To one he gave five to, of gold, to another two bags, and to, to one bag, to another, sorry, one bag. Each according to his own ability. All right? So if you have one bag, what's your attitude to the person with five bags? Because I just, the world I live in, there's a lot of one bag people that I run about with. And there's very few five-bag people. I don't see a lot of five-bag people. I run about with a lot of one-bag people, but I'd like to hang around with five-bag people, and I get in touch with five-bag people to get a lot of information and help when I need it. Are you with me? I'm not afraid of five-bag people. I love five-bag people. Every church needs five-bag five bag people. Say that. Every church needs five-bag people. Let me hear you. Every church needs... We all need five-bag people, right? Five-bag people in industry, five-bag... Five-bag people in engineering, five-bag people in, in commerce, five-bag people in entertainment, five-bag people in sports, right? We all need it. United need it. They need ten-bag people right now. <laughs> I'm just saying, just watch your attitude, pay attention to your emotions, okay? you got to let me have it. 30 years. A lot of one-bags and two-bags. So if you are insecure, it will drive you crazy. And you know what? Social media doesn't help. You know, my best life. I hate that phrase. Do you hate that phrase? I'm living my best life. Just live life. My best life. And, and, and then we compete. Here's the highlights. And what you're seeing in the people that are successful, you're seeing the highlights, the reels of their life. You're not seeing their, as I always say, you're not seeing their, what's that room called? You tell the room, though I have to say in confession, I'm sorry for embarrassing anybody that might be here today, but have you ever been in Iris Thompson's You Tell the Room? <laughs> it is immense. If I, I, this is the only occasion if, this is the only occasion if I had, 
Oh, maybe it's yourself. It looks after. Uh, it's the only. It's the only occasion I would take selfies all day in a utility room. It would be like I might actually do that Monday night. So, listen. This is an odd thing. I want you to hear this, and this is not playing things down. I don't want you to get low this morning, but I just want to bring some reality to you. No matter how successful you are, let me just burst your bubble. There will always be somebody more successful that will come along. And I'm finding now that I'm 50. It's usually a younger buck. So it knows way more than me. It communicates way better than me. It's way smarter than me. It's way thinner than me. It looks way better than me. And they just seem to take the word by storm. And, you know, and you meet them and they say, oh, I've actually got the five bag people, so of course I'm going to contact the five bag people. And you do these video calls. And I'm saying, like, how long are you in ministry? Man, we've got going through. You've guessed they're American. We've got going. We're up and running now three or four years. And I'm like, three and four years. Three and four years. Bless you. <laughs> Here am I in Tyrone for the last 15 years. 16. 16. And there you are with your white teeth. <laughs> your olive skin. And your free refills. So how does John celebrate and stay emotionally healthy? And I've got three things and then we're going to go home. Second one today, my second point, I think the Spirit of God is going to bring just freedom to so many of you this morning. I'm, I'm believing for that. Okay, so there's three things. So I, let me just begin by reiterating John's response, and I want to just pull out this one line that he says during the text. I think it's in three. It says, this joy is mine, and it's now complete, 327. This joy is mine, and it's now complete. This joy is mine, and it's now complete. John the baptizer, quote. Three things. John knew his identity. He knew his identity. We're going to talk about that. He knew what he was called to do. We're going to spend most of our time there. And then we're going to finish up with, get this, he knew his limitations. He knew the two-bag and the five-bag people. Identity. He knew he, he knew who he was. He says, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. He knew who he was. Because he knew who he was, this is brilliant. He knew who he wasn't. He knew who he wasn't. He knew who he wasn't. So therefore, he knew who he wasn't. Do we know who we are? And more importantly, do we know who we're not? Again, it's not a, not a negative. It's actually very, very freeing to know that I am not the white teeth, old skin, young snapperoo. I'm Jason, I'm Jason Scott, and I'm called the Mid-Ulster. My identity is rooted in this island. I love the soil. I love the pace. I love the space. I love the weather. Believe it or not, there's no extremes. Every day's an okay day. Yeah. He knew who he was, therefore he knew he wasn't. Uh, he said, can I tell you who I'm not? He starts off with that when they the police come and investigate him. Who are you? Oh, well, I can tell you this, I'm not the Messiah. So they start investigating. Are you, are you Elijah? There's rumors that when the Messiah come back, there was prophetic messages, you say, that Elijah. So they, are you what they talked about? No, I'm not Elijah. Are you a prophet? No, 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 no. His identity is absolutely grounded in Scripture and in himself. We, Michelle and I use this phrase, and it's quite comical. So now, now and then we say, how are you? And then we'll say, how are you in yourself? Do you know what I mean by that? Do you know what, but you do know what you mean when you say that question, don't you? How are you in yourself? Or, you, or Thomas Merton would say, your true self. The inner person, not this, hi, living my best life. Thompson's utility room. No, who are you inside? And so he knows who he is, he knew who he was, and, and, and I love that this, he, he quotes from the scripture, right? But this is brilliant, and I never got this, right? 
He allowed scripture to ground him and define the vision for his life. How many of us do it? I wish I was better at that. Allowing scripture to become the Rima word, that word in a moment that you actually say, well, this text is actually about the Messiah. It's about, it's actually pertaining to Isaiah 40, chapter, or verse 3. You can have a look at that. He's, he's ultimately, Messiah is writing about the prophet Jesus Christ of Nazareth coming. But, but there's something goes on in the life of, of, of uh, John the baptizer that he says, that's me. My job is to prepare the way for Jesus. This is my gig. I'm grounding myself in that. I'm going to circle my life around this text. I'm going to live my life around this text. When is the last time you lived your life around the text of Scripture? Come on. You know, when, you know, I love that we have devotional time and we do all that, but when is the last time we actually got radical and lived our life and grounded it around the ancient scriptures and it became the text for our life? It became the compass, or as the Yanks say, sorry, I'm quoting a lot of Americans this morning, our true north. But I do like that. Next tattoo. Our true north. He lived his life around that. He... he, he I'm going to be the one who makes way for him. I'm preparing the way for him. This is for me and this is me. This is who I am. I'm all about this. I'm all about this. Brennan Manning, he said this, living out of a false self creates a compulsive desire to present a perfect image to the public so that everyone will admire us and nobody will know us. How sad. If we ever lived in a culture that was, that was relevant to the digital addicted culture of this 21st century, where this was ever to be more true than ever, that people admire us, but nobody knows us. We've never been so connected, yet so lonely. We've never been so connected, yet so unknown. And yet we feel like everybody knows us. And do you ever meet somebody that you've met on Facebook? You see somebody, you think, I know that person. Where do I know them from? They're probably one of my 1,900 friends that I have on Facebook. I'll never be lonely, people. What a 50th birthday I'm going to have. Like, I have 1,000 so many friends. Yet nobody knows us. There's a famous rabbi called Susa. Before his death, he said, this rabbi said this, In the coming world, they will not ask me, Why were you not Moses? They will ask me, why were you not Susa? Right? This is so true, isn't it? I think that's brilliant. Nobody's going to ask you, why were you not Billy Graham? Or why were you not Musala? Or why were you not? I don't know. Whoever you're not, they're going to ask you, why were you not Ali? You know, why were you not? Cheryl, why, why did you stop being, when did you stop being you? Why did you try and be what only you could ever be? We could all bring that into our lives this morning. What we learn from John is that when we live with our true self, our identity, oh, there's such a freedom to do what God has created you to be. And do what only you can do. Live in power and walk in freedom. Number two, Colin. Are you okay? If you did fall asleep, can I ask you just to give yourself a wee shuffle and stay awake for this part? Because I think this is the part that's going to hit. Um, the arrow's going to reach a target this morning. Because he knew who he was and then knew he wasn't. He knew who he was and he knew what he was called to do, right? 
Again, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. His job was to get Israel ready. I've said that for the Messiah coming. Right? There's been a rumor that's going around the church. And I hope that none of you have been carrying this rumor. The rumor is, it goes like this. It's not helpful. It, it goes like this. It's who you are that matters, not what you do. Anybody heard that? Okay, so one person's heard it. Irrelevant point. Anybody else heard it? It's not what you, what you do that matters, it's who you are. Seriously? You can find that in the scriptures. It's when we know who we are that what we really do matters. So what do you do matters. I, I think it's sort of absolutely degrading actually in one point of a word to say that when somebody is called to do something in life, and I'm not talking about what they get paid to do, but when somebody is called to do something in life, that you go up to them and say, hey, well, it doesn't really matter what you do, it's who you are. It's really important. Now that's not helpful. That's not prophetic. It's not encouraging. And it doesn't enhance anything. So let's stop it. And let's get real and honest. So that's a rumor. But see, when we know who we are, we can function and do what the Father has gifted us to do. He's wired us to do, and it's important that we, we find that out. In God's eyes, what you do has value. Can I just say that? What you do is, has value. Teaching, encouraging hundreds of children, and someday they'll go up and there'll be a moment that you said something you didn't even, it was a flip of the comment in a classroom on a Monday afternoon, it was wet and cold, and maybe it was February, or maybe it was January, and you said something, and yet it's gone into the very soul of some young person, and years and years and years and years later, they've carried that, and it's pioneered them, and, and, and propelled them through to do something great in their life. Oh, but it doesn't matter what you do, it's who you are. Are you crazy? Are you crazy? It's really important that we know that we're called to stuff. And vocation is, is important. God has given you a unique personality. Some of you need to work on it. <laughs> it's, it's very unique. <laughs> I'm just joking. It's just who I am. <laughs> it's giving you skills. Natural ability, spiritual gifts. Listen, some of you have relationships that are life-given and God-given that shape who you are and what you're doing. And when you get up in the morning to go to work, because of the friendships and the spiritual gifts and the natural skill and your personality, you get to bring the kingdom of God. The place where you go. Not where I go, but where you go. For far too long, the church has modeled and taught that ministry happens here on a Sunday in midweek gatherings for the few and the one maybe. And it's actually, listen to me, it's actually killing a move of God. It actually kills the move of God. <clears throat> Calling is something you might not even get paid to do. Just saying. Uh, my dad was a very inspiring man. I often quote him because he was one of the, you know, you have influences in your life. And he was one of the huge ones in my life. So I'd, there's no embarrassment talking there. About him, but this might seem unkind to him, but I'll just say it because it's truth, and he's dead. He never had a really inspiring paid work track. Now, he was never out of work, but you would not follow his career path <laughs> if you're wanting to make a buck or two. And the old Americanism again come out. 
my dad had many jobs. He was a salesman. He worked for the housing executive. He worked for DuPont. I loved DuPont. That was the best job. They used to have kids' parties like nobody had kids' parties. When think, oh, it's back to America again, isn't it? There seems to be, a, I'm called. It's a Lord. <laughs> I'm off to California in the morning, folks. <laughs> Somebody switch the lights out and you're out. Um, no. The furthest I'm going is 4 o'clock to Macrofell and then back again here. But listen, 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 listen. He, he was all over the place, all over the map and paid jobs. Oh, the party in DuPont, you got two selection boxes. That was it. Did you ever go to the party in DuPont? They were the best. And you used to have superstar. Char- hey, Charlie Nash came one year. Do you remember Charlie Nash, the boxer? No. There you go. Stay on track. Stay on track. Okay, let's go fast. Oh, so he had this, he had this really uninspiring paid work career. But he sure as eggs are eggs, he knew who he was and he knew what he was called to do on this earth. And he knew that his job on this earth was to hear from God and release people into their calling. And it's important that you know what you're called to do, even before what you get paid to do. So how many of us, you know, and how many of us are actually living our life out of what we're called to do? Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling to relate what your calling is. Because it is a minefield at times and sometimes we don't make it helpful for people. Especially church jargon. And let me give you my best thinking on how you find your calling. And I want to tell you, and I'm not being arrogant, but this is, this is rich. Because from the age of three or four years, or maybe five, four or five years of age, in the front garden in Lincoln Courts, 133 Lincoln Courts, I remember I had a green Bible with a matchstick sort of drawn on it. And I remember holding this Bible, running about the garden, and somebody asked me what I wanted to do in life. And all of a sudden, I can only blame it on the Holy Spirit. In this moment, the words came out of my mouth, and then I was so embarrassed when they came out. And I said, I want to be a preacher someday. At five. Now, there was, unlike you people, I had a lot of emotional, healthy stuff that I needed to deal with. And it took me probably 30 years to get on top of that. But I've learned some stuff from 5 to 49. I'm learning. Slowly but surely. Let me emphasize the word, surely. I'm going to give you my best shot at this. And here it is. Don't, Don't minimize this. Do something, start living. Do something, start living. You're going to love this. Left foot, right foot. And in the doing, you'll have moments when you come alive. You'll do something that just brings life to you. You just feel like, ah, this is what, have you ever had those moments? This is what I was called to do. This is what I was meant to do. I was born to do this. I've never felt alive in my life as I do in this moment. Pay attention to those moments. Pay attention to those moments. There will be moments when you feel. Because if you're not feeling, you're not living. Unfortunately, we've made failure a dirty word. Pay attention to those moments too. In failure, you can learn who you're not and what you're not for or what you're not called to. There's moments in life where I've tried things. I went for stuff. I went for jobs. 
I've been unsuccessful. Of course, it hurts. I'm human. I thought that was the place and the space for me. But in that moment, in those moments, there were moments that I pay attention to, and I realized that's not who I am. And in those moments of failure, in those moments of that, in those moments of maybe rejection, even in pain, because uh, we're all human again, um, I, I learn who I am again. I come alive again. It's a, this is not what I was called to do, maybe. This is not what I'm for. And all of a sudden, I, I can reset the vision, and the calling. It's so important to have a go at things. In failure, you can learn who you are and what you're for. Get and stay in community. I know I bang on about it. But pay attention to what people see and say about you. This is so important. The number of people that have spoke over my life since I was five years of age to this very present day are the things that have set me up for kingdom success. When I pay attention to the small moments, the flip of the comment, the, 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 the small, even just whimsical, we think, at times, out there, remark, shapes your life. Shapes your life. And let me say this to you. you I am not saying that you need to spend all your life with Christians and, and fellow believers. But I am saying this. It's really important that you do get some fellow believers, brothers and sisters, into your life who are born again by the Spirit of God, who are living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, because the voice that you want to lean into the most in your life is that of the Spirit of God. It's that simple. So you must. It's a necessity. I don't care how cringy it feels to you at times. I don't care if it feels uncool. Get yourself around some one bag or two bag people in your eyes that know and love Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who hear his voice, who are called according to his purpose, who walk by the Spirit, hear the Spirit, have a prophetic gift in their life, can encourage and build up and allow them to speak into your life and open up your eyes to see just where you need to be in the moment and in the future. Are you with me? This is gold. Last Sunday, we uh, ended up in Macrofelt. Have I told you that? There was a moment. Michelle walks into the room. She sees, um, she sees a primary school friend. Great. She also sees a friend. Michelle was head geared. She's a five bag. <laughs> you know, she had red pen in those days. Remember red pen underlining the words? There was no highlighters. She had probably rubbers and top air pencils, like <laughs> Mr. Happy. All that. But then her, the, the, the other guy that walked in was the head boy. I didn't like him that much. <laughs> Just saying. But the conversation they had was, he, he said, I can't believe you're doing this. And then he stopped in his tracks and he said, no, 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 no. He says, I actually can I've always seen that in you. I knew you would be doing something like this. Pay attention to what people see and say in your life. Are you with me? You're thinking, is this it? This is it. I, I've come to discover another thing, and I'm going to wrap up very soon. I used to think calling was just you make a decision and you go with it, right? You hear a preacher, you go to a moment... You know, how many of you have been to an inspiring talk before? Oh, it goes without saying. <laughs> Stupid question. Hypothetical. Everybody put your hands up quickly. Feel insecure. Why is your arms folded? <laughs> so, you've gone for an inspirational talk. Somebody's talked about something in life. It was a mission field in Zambia. You know, you made the decision. You put your hand up and you walked the front. That was you. You were going. Monday morning. 
packing it all in. Life's not like that. Colin, I've discovered is, and by the way, I'm not dispersing. There are moments in life when those moments are critical and you give your life in a moment and make a decision. So that's not very helpful, that, that illustration. Sorry. But what I do want to say is this. Colin is more internal. It's about who God has called you to be. And so I'm more convinced than any time ever in my life. It's, just, it's not just the decision, but something you actually excavate. You're mining the calling of God that's in your heart. And this is why this is so important, because when you mine it, when you mine it as in mind the gold in your heart, right? When you mine what's in, in the very core of your soul, when you start to mine that, you get more confident. You get more, uh, when the storms come and the waves hit and the negativity comes and, and the one bag starts to criticize you and their story becomes bigger than your story when you're telling your story. In those moments in life, you need to know who you're called to be and who you really are. And that, that's an inside job. That's more than a one-time decision. That's an inside job. That's paying attention to it day and daily in prayer, in scripture, in community, in what other people see and say in your life. It's paying attention to it and it's actually cultivating the soil of your soul so that you know who you are and you know what you're called to. Pay attention, not just a decision, but pay attention to the inner self. Who has God called you to be and what has he called you to be? Last point. Embrace your limits. That's all I want to say. Just embrace your limits as a gift. I'll never forget the time Matthew Scott came to me with two things in his life. One was to be a Formula One driver and the other was to play for Liverpool. <laughs> Delighted. And said, son, you'll never play for Liverpool. And you most certainly will never be a Formula One driver. I didn't, I wasn't quite as harsh as that. But I, I, so we knew there was something else on Matthew, and that was that he has to embrace his limits. And I can guarantee you, the Formula One life was really way beyond our limits <laughs> financially. And his, unfortunately, his skill level on football was not just there to be signed by Liverpool. Maybe United, but certainly not. <laughs> Liverpool. Paul was much more kinder. He said it this way. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Again, five bags of gold. Chapter 3, 27. Our memory first for the week. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. We don't want to receive... At times, the gifts of limitation. And I know there's some competitive people out there. Right? It's like when I say, you've got limits, you're saying, I'll show you. When I say, take Sabbath, you say, heck no. I'm slowing down for no man. God rested. You're not God. Well, there's limitations in our life. Take the gift. Enjoy the company and the synergy around you and other people that will cause you to flourish and help them flourish in their calling. Don't see it as a competitive thing. You only get exasperated and critical and exhausted. You can only do what only you can do. We don't want to receive it at times and we think it's not a gift. 
We see it rather as a curse, but I've learned, I've learned something really, really fast in my life that I am not the answer to everything. Michelle thinks so. She calls me God's gift. And many other things, like babe and, you know. <laughs> Peter Cascario, which, which, which we're getting the titles from, and we haven't really worked much of the book in this talk, but anyway. In his book, Emotionally Healthy People, understands the limits of, he says that the people that are healthy understand the limits God has given them. They joyfully receive the one, the two, seven, or ten talents God has graciously distributed. As a result, they are not frenzied and covetous trying to live a, a life God never intended. They are marked by contentment and joy. Do you want to be marked by contentment and joy? I think we do. We need to know what to say yes to, and we also need to know what we say no to. Now listen to me, and listen fast. When people hear this, they just, they just sort of say, well, I'm saying no to serving. Jason said this morning, no, I'm not saying that. This is talk, I'm talking about your vocation in life, what God has called you to do. Stay in your lane. Know what God has called you to do. And then don't get into anybody else's lane. Do what only you can do. Embrace the limits. The limits are, are we have all different types of limits. We are human people. We are human and we are Christian. To be human means we live with limitations. Our personality is a limitation. Right? That's not being negative. Some of you are extroverts and some of you are introverts. Embrace it. Live with it. You, you don't want to be going out partying all the time if you're an introvert. You don't want to be in big rooms of people. You know what you're called to. If you're, if, if, if you're an extrovert, go for it. Knock yourself out. That's your personality. Know your limitations. Some of us, it's just a season of life. We have children that are small. We don't. We go out whenever we want. Right? It's great. Someday you'll be there. But you'll never be as young looking as me. <laughs> Embrace limitations. Those are just natural limitations to your life. Sometimes it's health. Sometimes it's responsibility. Taking care of a, of a parent who's ill or, uh, or somebody in the family that's ill. Those are limitations to your life. Embrace them. Don't see them as curses, but just embrace the limits and stay in your lane. That's all I want to say. Okay. Three questions. We're done. Who are you? Identity. What are you called to do? What are you made for? What were you made for? What are your limitations? Well, let me ask you this question on that part. What is it, or where is it, that you're outside your limitations at the minute? Pay attention to that. Let's put down your phones or Bibles or anything else that would distract us at this moment. I'm going to do ministry time. 